You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Ransomware operators begin timing their releases for more reputational damage. Another gang is equipping its ransomware with scripts to disable defenses, and yet another is now into stock shorting. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service is apparently monitoring social media. GCHQ's head warns of the dangers of becoming dependent on China's technology. Johannes Ulrich from SANS on commodity malware targeting enterprises. Our guest is Itai Maor from Cato with some of the clever ways criminals avoid detection. And it's not just sharks interested in undersea cables. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 23rd, 2021. Ransomware continues to trouble organizations. One of the bigger recent incidents was R. Evil's attack on Taiwan's Quanta, a major supplier for Apple, an attack that came to general attention this week. ThreatPost reports that after Quanta refused to pay, the R. Evil gang began to leak sensitive design documents online, and they timed their leaks to coincide with Apple's big spring-loaded product announcement event. Our evil wants $50 million by May 1st. In other ransomware news, researchers at GuidePoint Security say that the gang behind Mount Locker is changing the way it does business. Mount Locker, whose ransomware-as-a-service business entered the criminal marketplace in the second half of last year, has been an unfortunately effective but fairly conventional criminal operation— It encrypted and exfiltrated files on the double extortion that threatens both data availability and data privacy that's now customary with ransomware operators. Now, however, GuidePoint says Mount Locker is stepping up their game by including scripting and capabilities directly targeting prevention measures. Along with other enhancements, the extortionists are now deploying scripts tailored to the specific defensive tools they find in their target's environment. And another ransomware group has expanded its threats to a promise that they'll work with crooked market speculators to short the stock of the companies they target. Recorded Future finds that the hoods behind the dark side ransomware have now made it formal. Dmitry Smilianets, threat intel analyst at Recorded Future, told The Record, quote, While other ransomware families previously discussed how to leverage the effect of a publicly disclosed cyber attack on the stock market, They have never made it their official attack vector, end quote. 
The U.S. Postal Service is running an Internet covert operations program, Yahoo News reports. Apparently, a broad monitoring of U.S. citizens' social media activity in an effort to trawl for signs of extremist content that might suggest incipient violations of law. The news has been poorly received by privacy advocates and some members of Congress. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service is an actual law enforcement agency with a serious and long-standing mission to protect postal service operations that goes back to the surveyors Benjamin Franklin appointed for that purpose in the late 18th century. In fact, since William Goddard was appointed the first surveyor on August 7, 1775, the service arguably predates the Republic itself. The Postal Inspection Service describes its mission as to support and protect the U.S. Postal Service and its employees, infrastructure, and customers, enforce the laws that defend the nation's mail system from illegal or dangerous use, and ensure public trust in the mail. It currently organizes that mission under several relatively expansive heads, protecting USPS, protecting USPS employees, illegal narcotics, mail and package theft, identity theft, mail fraud, fraud prevention and education, suspicious mail, disaster response, money laundering, cybercrime, global mail security, and child exploitation. Presumably, incitement or conspiracy carried out over social media would fall under cybercrime, but the whole business strikes many as questionable domestic surveillance. The Postal Inspection Service didn't reply directly to Yahoo News in response to their questions, but they did return a general statement about their activities. They cast the Internet Covert Operations Program as a routine protective measure to secure the mail. Here's how they put it, quote, The Internet Covert Operations Program is a function within the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, which assesses threats to Postal Service employees and its infrastructure by monitoring publicly available open-source information. Additionally, the Inspection Service collaborates with federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies to proactively identify and assess potential threats to the Postal Service, its employees and customers, and its overall mail processing and transportation network. In order to preserve operational effectiveness, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service does not discuss its protocols, investigative methods, or tools. End quote. So, tell it to the people squabbling with their city's water department over late charges because their bill was delayed by, in some cases, a month or more. The Guardian notes that the surveillance effort comes at a time when the U.S. Postal Service's core responsibility of delivering mail has been perceived as falling off from previous standards. Sniffing out revolutionary or reactionary wrongthink is now in the Postal Service's remit. NSA didn't want the mission, so it went to the Postmaster General? Representative Thomas Massey, for example, a Republican representing Kentucky's 4th District, put it this way, quote, Disturbing. Why do presidents and my colleagues in Congress tolerate these violations of the Constitution? Also, and unfortunately, the USPS has been losing money for many years, so where do they find the money to run this surveillance program? End quote. Representative Massey tweeted these remarks, so one presumes the Postal Service received them. Had he dropped them in the mail? Who knows? It's a good thing dogs don't actually get mail, or they'd have an even bigger justification in the ancestral canine war with letter carriers than pooches already do. The head of Britain's GCHQ says that the West faces a moment of reckoning in cyberspace, 
and that unless it wants the world's operating system to be made in China, it had better get skeptical about relying on Chinese technology in its infrastructure. GCHQ director Jeremy Fleming told the BBC, quote, The risk as I see it today is that we lose control of the standards that shape our technology environment, end quote. The pressure to allow Chinese tech in will grow as cities become inevitably smarter, smarter in the IoT sense of the word. Fleming sees the experience of rolling out 5G technology as an important cautionary tale. And finally, have you thought about the possibility of undersea cables being hacked? Whitehall has. Technorati says the UK is procuring a surveillance ship to quietly inspect cables for physical interference. It's a real possibility. The Royal Navy did it to German diplomatic communications during World War I, so Whitehall should know. And the Royal Navy's not the only one either, or so we hear. Skittishness about cables has been a point of contention in the southwestern Pacific in particular, where Australia has objected to Chinese tech companies' participation in running cable service to neighbors like Papua. Of course, there's physical interference, and then there's physical interference. There are plenty of documented cases of sharks gnawing on undersea cables, presumably attracted by the EMI energy they may be putting out. Real sharks, not, you know, robot sharks with lasers. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Adversaries have perfected their game when it comes to evading endpoint security, sandboxes, threat intel feeds, and more. And the ongoing shift to the cloud has opened up new opportunities for them and challenges for defenders. Atai Moore is Senior Director of Security and Strategy at Cato Networks. 
and he joins us with thoughts on network-based threat hunting and leveraging your tools to work together. I think we're in actually in a very interesting time right now because different threats have been evading security controls for a while now, but almost everything we had was on-prem, and we used uh, endpoint types of detections. And now a lot of the companies, a lot of organizations are moving to the cloud, which is a great opportunity for security, but as, as we've learned in the past, it's also a great opportunity for attackers as well. So I think one of the challenges, challenges though, that we, are, we find ourselves now is we're trying to use old school or the techniques that we used in the past for on-prem uh, um, infrastructure to detect uh, and, and mitigate uh, cloud-based threats. <clears throat> and it's not it, it's not what it was designed for. I mean, the attackers have already uh, already know how to beat the old versions on on-prem, and of course, uh, for uh, cloud uh, infrastructure, it's it's a different game. Well, I mean, let's continue along with that metaphor then. I mean, when 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 folks are working in a cloud environment, um, what sort of things do you recommend they have in place? So there, there's several security solutions and architectures uh, that I would recommend. But before I even go into that, I think a lot of organizations can better utilize what they already have today in-house, uh, which means yeah, taking taking a look at some of the security uh, feeds that they have, intelligence feeds, and correlating them, for example, is 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 one good exam is one good uh, practice. I, I worked for a threat intelligence company in the past as well, and I think some of these um, feeds, some of the info that's there, is amazing, but it's really siloed, and the attackers take advantage of siloed information. For us as defenders, we have the opportunity to actually take all the information that's coming from multiple sources, multiple vendors, whatever it is, and correlate them to really identify threats and sometimes even identify threats that have not been identified before. And here's where I'm getting to the old school approach versus the new school approach. Old school hmm. approach was, hey, let's sign everything and you know fight it. As soon as I see that signature on my network, I can, I can identify it. But you know, there's so many threats out there today um, and I'm just taking one small example, right? But um, uh, there's so many threats out there today that signing everything is, is is not easy, not to mention the fact that sometimes you may want to identify the threat even if it's not signed. And that's where I'm getting into network-based threat hunting, which is you know one of the things uh, that is allowed if you use a, a SASE architecture where you have the security and the network controls combined and integrate, uh, merged, and, and you can start looking at things and say, hey, um, so I have, I have a, an, an alert here. Let's combine that with information I know from all the network that I'm seeing, all the, the different uh, uh, network flows. Is this little uh, uh, communication, is it going to somewhere that I've seen before? Does it act in a certain way? Did it invoke, did it use certain processes? Does it, there's all kinds of elements you can collect from different systems. And when you put all of them together, you can say, oh, you know what? I don't know what it is, but it's 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 not something good. Now, each one of them alone may not raise an alert. And we actually tried this with our own security team. We saw threats that went undetected when you looked at them in a siloed view of one of a specific, for example, threat intelligence or uh, uh, certain types of controls that you have. But when you combined three or four of these elements together, you could say, I don't know what it is but I know it's not acting like I would expect something good to act. Does that make hmm. sense? It does. Now, uh, the actual combining of the data there, integrating that information, 
how should folks go about doing that? Uh, so you can use all kinds of uh, models. Uh, there are actually some uh, good articles out there. Uh, we use we you know we have our own uh, MDR team, and uh, they take this information and combine different security feeds, combine popularity. For example, like I said before, one of the examples is if I have access to data for hundreds of customers, and now I see that one of my customers is trying to communicate over the network to a certain domain or URL. Has any one of the other customers ever tried to connect to it? That's a popularity rating, right? And you can say, well, mm-hmm. no, it's the first time. So, you know, maybe it's something that a domain that was just created and, um, uh, you know, it's not something, it's not Google, it's not Yahoo, it's not CNN. And so it's, it's, it's suspicious. Other things that we look into, for example, are the domains themselves. You start looking, at, if you try to sign a malware, the malware may communicate to different domains. Uh, so the signature changes, or the network signature of it changes. But if you look at the domains themselves, all of, all of a sudden you start seeing these different patterns. Oh, wait a minute! This this domain, it's in uh, uh, always 24 characters, and it's always a vowel number, vowel number. Okay, I'm seeing a pattern here. So hmm. now I'm going to search for this pattern in all the communications. And by the way, not just for this customer, for all my customers. And now I have, I'm actually, you know, I'm a security vendor, but I'm actually using the knowledge, the combined knowledge coming both from security and network of my customers to actually get a very good understanding of what is the threat landscape. And, you know, where, <laughs> it's funny, it's, it's where is the needle in the needle stack? Because there's a lot of needles. There's a lot mm-hmm. of bad stuff going on, but you really want to detect the ones uh, that, you know, might put you in the news in a couple of days. So that's, that's the type of work that we're doing. That's a time more from Cato Networks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute, also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, I know you and your team have been tracking uh, some commodity malware that's been targeting enterprises lately. What are you all looking at? Yeah, so if you are in this business, one of the sad parts about it is that day after day, you see these reports, you get the sample, but an email arrives with the office attachment and a macro. And of course, for the most part, uh, enterprise uh, tools are having a pretty good handle on them and uh, are removing uh, those malicious attachments. But ever so often, something slips through. Now, Often these exploits are really more targeted at uh, your home small business user that doesn't have a lot of uh, protection in terms of uh, anti-malware. And in that case, uh, 
typically that malware, what it did is it sort of focused on the machine that it was running on. Uh, it may encrypt it for ransomware, it may steal credentials, uh, banking trojans and whatnot we had. Maybe it went out after a couple uh, shares, network shares that were mounted on that machine, but that even was sometimes more accidentally. Now, what we saw recently is uh, that actually what these attackers realized is, hey, uh, you know, there are a lot of enterprises with good uh, protection that will not allow our macros in, but ever so often something slips through. You know how it goes that uh, CIO or CEO who has an intern to print out his email for him. Well, uh, <laughs> right. and, um, in that case, you know, the intel, the, so the intern of course gets blamed for starting the macro, but it's now being started uh, on the corporate uh, system. So what uh, this uh, particular malware does is it checks, am I running on an enterprise network? And the way it figures that out is it checks if it is part of an active directory domain, so a more managed uh, network. And Hmm. if so, then it installs additional remote access tools in particular, Cobalt Strike. Uh, that sort of seems to be the tool of choice here, or uh, some variants or uh, similar open source products are then being used to sort of gain persistent access to the system. What are your uh, tips here then to prevent this sort of thing? Well, uh, to prevent it, first of all, if you are analyzing malware, uh, make sure that you also analyze it on a sandbox that is joined to an Active Directory domain so you see the full behavior of it. Uh, of course, you know, your standard anti-malware tools should take care of it. Uh, they, they should uh, find the macro, they should block it. They're really sort of you know, looking for the one system that uh, slipped your central control. That's what they're looking for. And uh, what happens next then really is this command control channel. So this is one of those things that you really shouldn't just focus on prevention by blocking uh, these attachments, but assume that uh, one or two of them are slipping through. So make sure you're also having detection in place to identify compromised systems. It really is remarkable how much of this is a numbers game that, you know, these these folks are, you know, they, they, they try to hit everybody with everything and, and sort of see what sticks. Yes, in, uh, in part here, uh, the problem is also that you know, the, the way sort of the, the bad guys are organized, uh, these people that are sending you uh, the the malware, you're probably already dealing with two organizations. There's the one organization that really just provides the the spam service, the sending the emails. And then there is uh, the other organization that is tr- writing the malware. But uh, then they're essentially providing services for other tiers of uh, malicious organizations. And you know they figured out that, hey, for a home system, we'll encrypt the baby pictures and uh, they'll pay us $100. For the enterprise system, we'll hand it off uh, to someone. We sell access to that company. And they can probably make more money that way and spend the time to really... Uh, sniff around the network and see what hurts the most. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're run like real businesses. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Be sure to check out this week's Research Saturday and my conversation with Jason Passwaters from Intel 471 on bulletproof hosting, what it is and how to minimize impact, common BPH malware families and top BPH providers. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI... The best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 